The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 44, Digit with the EdTech Yoda. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. What is up, Kyle? What is up, Ben? It is uh, another episode. We are at 044 of the Beer EDU Podcast. I am Ben Dixon. You can uh, follow me on the Twitterverse at BDixonNV, also Instagram, the same one. And I have a very, very, very neglected blog called Rummages and Ramblings, which I don't know, maybe I should start actually looking at. Well, you kind of have an <laughs> excuse to be considered, you know, first your principal yeah, kind of deal. Yeah. Is, yeah, there is that whole thing. But yeah. hey, and you, my friend, you have I a am, lot of other stuff. Yeah, I am a lot of that. So yeah, my name's Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson Ed Tech, my blog, AndersonEdTech.net, Instagram, AndersonEdTech. So basically, if you Google Anderson Ed Tech, you, you'll find yeah. me somewhere. So, um, so you know what? Let's just do it. Ben, yeah. it's beer 30. What do you got? Yeah, so I have I have this. It's Four Peaks Hop Knot. And I, I have to be honest, I've never seen it. My wife brought it home and she said, hey, I got you beer. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm not going to, like, you brought me beer. I'm Of course, that's amazing. So, um, and it's the Four Peaks Hop Knot IPA. I've never heard of them. Um, it's a solid IPA, 6.7%. ABV 47 IBUs. Um, you know, it's got that typical citrus kind of uh, citrus floral to it. Um, and yeah, it's 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 pretty good. I, I was like, wow, I've never had this one. And they're out of uh, Tempe, Arizona. Yeah. And you know, I, I got to say, I'm actually really surprised you've never heard of this or seen it before because I've definitely seen it around. And um, I believe they have it at Reno Aces games, if I remember right, oh, at different okay. places. But I've definitely seen it around, and then it, it was definitely bigger down south when I was living in Vegas. And then, yeah, that's. Um, I've had I've got family, and my wife has family in the Phoenix area, and I've okay. actually been to the brewery a handful of times. And I don't right. remember the beer being spectacular. I mean, this one that you got's pretty good, but I mean, there's a lot of great IPAs out there. I don't remember their beers being spectacular. Nothing really stands out to me other than that one, and they make one called Kilt Lifter. It's a Scotch ale that's really good. Okay. But I remember the food at the brewery being absolutely phenomenal, and it's in a really cool part of Tempe. It's like right down by Arizona State University cool. and like all the artsy district downtown Tempe. And um, the, I, I remember the one time being there, there was an ASU game going on, and every time they scored, which they put up like 40-something the first yeah. half, you could hear their cannon boom go off, and it was really cool. Yeah, it, I, I, th I think that's it. I think it's 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 a – I think it's up in northern Nevada, and I, I will totally own my my northern Nevada, northern California love of beer. And so it's just it's just not one that I'd ever – I'd ever sampled. So yeah. it's like I said, it's a solid IPA, but you, my friend, um, you have, you know, you have a go-to right there. Yeah. And you know, I actually, um, I've been on untapped now for about three years. Right. And when I checked this one in, I was surprised I didn't have a check-in and I find it hard to believe I really? did, would, wouldn't have checked it in. 
So yeah. that means I haven't had one in a while. But I have the Sierra Nevada Stout tonight. Oh, yes. Yeah, I hadn't had it for a while. When I was at my parents' place a while back, I was at the grocery store there, and they've got one of those beer sections at their grocery store that's really great. Yes. And, you know, it's one of those deals, like you were talking last episode, where you go into the beer section, and you just stand there for 15 minutes gawking. <laughs> and I did that, and I saw a six-pack of this, and I said, you know, I haven't had that in a while, so I grabbed it, and... You know, I then well then I kind of put it in the fridge and forgot about it. So I checked into one of them tonight, and but it is a straight up stout. It is very roasty. It's very toasty. It's got a little coffee and chocolate notes to it. A little bit of a creamy mouthfeel to it. Very smooth. Not definitely not a lawnmower beer, but um, oh, no. because the fall is around now, it's a nice little fall sipper for the uh, cooler evenings we're having. It's yes. at five point eight percent, so it's not going to murder you. And um, it's at 50 IBU. It's a little amped up on the yeah. IBU for a stout, but I mean that's that's Sierra Nevada's mo. And yeah, I, oh yeah, go I, ahead. I would agree. I would agree. I, I, it's one that like I, like it is not a pounder. Like it's one that I've had, and it's like two. I'm good. I'm good. It's it's it's. I call it. It's more of a beer that pours like a sandwich. <laughs> that's a great way to put it actually but and you know this is that what here's some fun facts about this beer though um i read ken grossman the guy one of the guys that created sierra nevada brewing company in chico back in 1980 when they got the company going in his book beyond the pale which if you haven't picked up that book check it out oh. it's a it's a memoir about ken grossman and the and the growth of sierra nevada to what it became but this was actually their first beer which everyone, yeah. when they when they think Sierra Nevada, they think like the pale ale yeah. or the torpedo. Right. But the stout was actually their first beer. And they rocked that for a while before they introduced the pale ale. And then eventually the pale ale overtook that as the flagship beer. But um, I just think it's kind of cool that this was the first beer that they that they made. And they're still making it. Well, it started in 1980. So we're talking, uh, you know, almost 40 years later. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. It is, it is, it is definitely one of my. I I like that one. It's my. It's. I will say it is my dad's go-to. Oh, nice. Like, if I go to my dad's house, I guarantee you there are some of those in his fridge. Nothing so, wrong with that. So, yeah. um, I I have the book somewhere, so I will oh, I dig it out that. and then um oh. I'll let you read that one because yeah, it's a I really check that out. it's definitely a cool story. So. But um, it's not just me and you, as usual. No. We have a guest tonight. So, and um, this is somebody that I think we we've been trying to get her on for quite a yeah. while, and we finally were able to work this out. So, without further ado, let us introduce Lori Wong Roberts, the EdTech Yoda, to the Beer <laughs> yes. Edu Podcast. So, Lori, how are you hey, doing? Hey guys, cheers! Cheers, absolutely. Cheers. So, should I talk about what I'm drinking? Um, absolutely, yes. you should. Okay, so I am drinking from the very, very local uh, brewery, which is right down the street from my house. I live in Albany, California, and we're a very small urban village, very, very small. We're kind of wedged in uh, between uh, a bunch of other bigger cities. And I am drinking the Uncle Fester, Uncle spelled U-N-K-E-L. It's a beer. Um, it's got a 5.6 um, alcohol per volume, per volume, and uh, I really like it because it just—it's very beery. It's a very beery beer. <laughs> that is, um, that is actually, a great review. I, 
I like, I, I really am a big hazy IPA girl. Um, yeah. I also like sours, strangely enough. Um, okay. There aren't many sour IPAs out there, but I have found a couple. But this one, um, I rolled into the brewery today, and I said, hey, I, I'd like something. And I saw Uncle Fester, and I thought that, just for the name alone. But it's a, it's a fantastic beer. Um, it's a beautiful brown color, and... Uh, it's perfect for the fall. And also, I'd just like to share with you that uh, my birthday's on October 12th. And yeah. that is the uh, the anniversary of the very first ever Oktoberfest. So uh, I have the best party birthday ever. You you do you do and I'm, I'm and like I said I'm one day after you so we've we've talked about that so I well, think that is the uh, October is the best birthday month. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Well, and even better, this episode, as we were, we are going to be posting this on October 12th, so happy birthday. Hey, there we go. It's the birthday, it's the birthday episode. Yes. So, and my birthday was just a a few weeks ago, my September 22nd, so uh, a little, little bit later, but um, that's okay. So yeah, we'll call this the birthday episode. There we are. Love it. All right. So So you, you're from Albany, California. You enjoy your beers. Who are you? What else are? What do you do? Um, I am an instructional coach for the West Contra Costa Unified School District, which is a really large urban school district. Mm-hmm. We have about twenty-eight thousand students. Um, I've been with the district for twenty-three years now um, as a classroom teacher and as a coach, and it has been a fantastic journey. Um, a lot of things have happened in that amount of time, and I've learned a lot. And I've had a lot of great students and worked with a lot of great teachers. Cool. So how, so what primarily, like, what was your, what did you teach before you moved into the ed tech role? Um, I, I was always in the ed tech world. I just want to okay. share that from the very beginning. Um, but I taught upper elementary mostly. I did have one year, my first year of teaching, I taught kindergarten. Oh, hey, right on. Right here. Back at you. And I loved it. I thought it was great. But then after that, it was mostly fourth, fifth, and sixth. <laughs> my, my dream was always that I was going to be a fourth grade teacher. And then they offered me a standard contract in kindergarten. And I said, yes, I would like to eat. I have two small children at home. That's right. That's right. And you know what? Kindergarten is a lot of fun. You just have to be prepared for they're always moist. There's always moist. <laughs> that, right? you know my dog is agreeing with you. but you Yes. Know, that, that is true. There, are, I get a lot of high fives in kindergarten, and I always think, I hope you wash your hands just That's now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. And I, lo- I love kindergarten. I actually love all the kids because right now I am primarily coaching um, our K-8 schools, which we okay. have five of them right now, but wow. also our middle and high schools. So that's where I'm coaching now. That's, well, and something yes. else that you're really passionate about and – that, that it goes hand in hand with the coaching with the ed tech and everything is digital citizenship. And I mean, we could spend several episodes talking about this. So we definitely di- got to condense it down, but um, tell us a little bit about like how you really, that passion really grew. Well, you know, it's something that we've been seeing. Um, it's, it's been a real issue. Um, we we're a one-to-one district. First of all, okay. I have to wear that first. Uh, we've been one-to-one for about three years now, three, four years. Um, we just switched to uh, Chromebooks. Um, but before that, we had Windows 
tablets um, that we mostly used with Chrome. Uh, we are a Google shop. Um, but what we were finding was that kids were able to log in with their personal accounts and then they were able to basically go off and be out in the world during school time. Um, and there were several things that came up and we found that we were reacting more than being proactive. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's absolutely tiring reacting, right, all the time, constantly reacting. And so we decided as a district that we were really going to look at trying to um, attack the problem from its root. So we were going to, to try and work with our kids to help them understand digital citizenship um, before these things happened. Because like I said, everyone was exhausted and we weren't really sure what to do. Um, we were finding that kids were um, engaging in behaviors using the tablets, things that they would normally do in school. So instead of writing notes and passing them, which is what we did in my day, um, but, you know, they were sending each other chat messages, right? Mm -hmm. And because teachers were seeing it as a, uh, it was a function of having this technology, they actually were, they were sending more students to the office because they weren't really sure what to do. Well, we decided that, you know, this is something that we have to teach our teachers, we have mm -hmm. to teach administrators, we have to teach our kids, but we also have to teach our parents. So we have a whole uh, community component to our dig digital citizenship right now in our district. So, so do you, did you guys have to create a curriculum for that? Or did you, did you use something that was, because I, I know there's stuff already out there. Oh yeah, right. I mean, there is no, no reason to actually <laughs> go ahead and uh, reinvent the wheel on this one, for right. sure. So we work with, we're actually working with Common Sense um, to, we're, we're using not just their curriculum, which is all redone, by the way, it's fantastic, mm -hmm. um, but we're also uh, using a lot of their resources to work with our parents, and we're partner, partnering with them right now. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, so do you, like, in that component, so you're doing that in schools, what, tell us, I think, I think that you mentioned the parent piece and that, that to me is so yeah. huge. It's mm -hmm. like, we can kind of, as a school, we can monitor and control that, that short bit of time that we have students with us. But how do you, how are you addressing that? Like, Hey, I go home at five o'clock and like, I'm on all these, I'm on Snapchat. I'm doing all this stuff. Exactly. So what we're doing right now is we're piloting a program with five of our schools. We have like 52 schools. But we're, we're working with five of our schools to do a parent program. Cool. Um, and so that's in pilot mode right now. What we're doing is we're going to be giving four different sessions. One of them is about, you know, school and um, the Chromebooks. Like what mm -hmm. can they do with Chromebooks that is school related. Um, and then we're also going to be doing something on digital drama and cyberbullying. We're also going to be working um, with parents on just the basics of social media. So we're going to actually start that off with the basics of social media, um, then the cyberbullying. And then what we're going to do is we're going to be talking also about digital life balance. Mm. So um, having that balance, because, you know, you don't really want to pull kids completely off of, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, right. this, this is life now, really. Mm. I mean, this is the way it's, you know, not only is it great for, for teaching, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's great for a lot of things, just as long as it's, again, you know, used with balance, right? right. Balancing right. it out with real life interactions, mm -hmm. sports, right. creativity, you know, things like that.
So, um, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're, you know, I, I can, hopefully I can report back in a, in a year for the next year's birthday episode um, to tell you how it went because what we're hoping to do is create templates so that each um, school community worker at each school can actually take that information and um, personalize it, you know, for their school because we have a lot of different schools with a lot of different issues. Um, so we want to make sure that it's base information that then they can grow and use it for their own communities. Something that you said that really kind of stuck out to me, and I'm not sure if I've ever actually heard this before, but it, it was something really cool that you said was, you said digital drama and cyberbullying. And that was something, when I was when I was an administrator, there, cyberbullying was definitely a problem, you know, especially with social media platforms like Snapchat. And, and a lot of them, because they were middle schoolers, their impression was, it's on Snapchat, it's gone in 24 hours, they can't catch me. So there was a lot of kids that really tried to take advantage of that. But then you also had a lot of savvy kids that did the screenshots or reported it very quickly. But there was also the issue where in the state of Nevada, if the word bully is uttered to an administrator, it's, it triggers an automatic investigation. So, and I'm sure it's probably like that in a lot of other places too. And it's a, it's a process that takes a lot of time, but it, it was one of those right. things where if you've got cyber bullying and cyber drama or digital drama, I think is how you put it, knowing the difference between that would, would really cut down on a lot of that and a lot of the issues even as well. If kids recognized it and if you could distinguish between digital drama and cyber bullying. So is there a way that with the lessons that you work with the students and the teachers to really learn the difference between those two things? Well, right now, like I said, this is like in pilot mode with our with our parents, first of all. Um, but we do have we and we have put out um, in the form of our acceptable use policy. We've put out um, our expectations of students and how they use um, online resources um, and how they use uh, devices. So um, our acceptable use policy, instead of it being very you know, you will not do this, you will not do that. It's more like, this is what we expect of our students, right? We expect that we are going to be, um, you know, we don't post mean things about people. That is part of the digital drama, right? I mean, everything that is, um, you know, everything, digital drama basically can lead to cyberbullying, but doesn't have to, right? There are a lot of things that are happening that you can't really say are cyberbullying, right? Um, but could lead to it if it's not put in check. Right. Um, but I think, you know, uh, the acceptable use policy that we wrote is really based in um, not just the whole idea of trying to cut down on all of this digital drama, but also to um, really enforce the four C's and to talk about how we want students to be using technology. That's really great because um, I still remember there was this this young man that everything was bullying to this young man. And I think um, in the span of the first month of school, he came to me and reported five different incidents of either bullying or cyberbullying, all of which I could not substantiate because the, the evidence wasn't there. It was just kids. And sometimes it wasn't even kids being mean. It was just him being very, very sensitive at times. Like right. the one he comes in says like, a boy sneezed and then he looked at me and I, and you know, he's being a bully to me. 
I'm sorry, buddy. He's not being a bully to you. But now that you said that, I have to investigate. So, you know, and if you can get to students right. to really just put it on lock, what the difference between them are, uh, whether it's cyberbullying, where it is flat out like somebody is out to get you, or if it's somebody saying mean things that whether they mean it or not, neither one of them is right. But knowing the right. difference between the two can really cut down on the really severe cases, I think. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, naming it and, and actually showing them, you know, talking to them about examples, but also telling them what they can do when they're witnesses, right? Um, you don't want them to be bystanders. You want them to be upstanders and to explain sure. to them the importance of being an upstander. Well, and I think that's, yeah, that's key is like, like, I think sometimes kids think, well, this kind of stuff happens on social media and they see it, but they don't ever say anything about it as opposed mm -hmm. to like two kids get into it, you know, in the hallway at school, then kids may step up. But it seems like on social, at least in my experience in investigating and, and dealing with those situations, like tons of, that's the thing is like on social media, tons of people see it and you're like, okay, how did no one come and talk to talk about this? Right. That's, that's the hard part. Right. Well, and, and, and a lot of it, too, is that, um, you know, a kid can come up to you and say, I was being bullied. And if the, you know, if the if the teacher isn't really well versed in a lot of these things, then then, yeah, they're going to see it as bullying. Right. right. Um, right. And not understanding that there are levels of these things. There are a lot of other things that are going on. Um, so what we're trying to do is really trying to work with everyone. <laughs> At this point well and to this we, we day i am still very gun shy about snapchat and i don't have a very positive view of snapchat because that was my experience with it was students using it as a platform to be mean to each other and cyber bully and right, i i know exactly. that's not i know that's not what it is i i know that right. for a fact that there's a lot of great things and kids are doing great things in snapchat they're using it as a communication tool kind of like how when we were kids we would call our friends and sometimes be on the phone for three hours. That's what kids do now. They use Snapchat, right. you know, so I know it's right. not all like that, but again, just some of the horrific stuff I saw with Snapchat specifically, I am still yeah. really gun shy about it. But, um, right. so do you specifically address social media in schools in your AUP and in your program for yeah. digital citizenship? Well, it's mostly just, you know, how we expect them to use technology, period. So there are things in our acceptable use policy um, about how we expect um, students to speak to each other. So one of the things we have is, um, you know, we expect them to use thoughtful and appropriate words and be mindful of how mm -hmm. they will be interpreted by others. Um, and that one is, that's a, that's a little bit difficult, but that's what we're expecting our students to be able to do. So really, a lot of um, a lot of the digital citizenship work that we're doing actually stems from this acceptable use policy because this is like the highest. This is what we're really expecting our students to be able to do, um, and it's actually things that will make them better—not just better citizens, but ready for the work world, ready for college, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. Um, and it was really, you know, we we did a lot of work on it. Um, it was a, you know, a a group that worked on this and we wrote it and rewrote it and had a bunch of people look it over and finally, you know, had lawyers look it over and everything and everything is great. Um, and so far so good, you know, and that's what we're, we're, you know, a lot of people don't talk about acceptable use policies are not that exciting, right? right? It's like the thing that you have to do. 
Um, but I think that you can really, it, because it's a thing that you have to do, you can actually really leverage it as a really powerful right. tool. Cool. So, so in your work that you're doing, not only on that end, do you also talk a lot about like how, how kids, how kids are accessing information on the internet or, or through these and, and how to, how to determine like, is this viable information? Because I, I just think like kids are bombarded now with information and it's like teaching them to weed out noise and, right. and look at, and, and, <laughs> and, and like, okay, that's a viable source of information, not, you know, I saw it on Reddit, so it must be true. Right. <laughs> oh, now you sound like my husband. Um, um, you know, a lot of, you know, we have, we are really looking at, um, the media literacy certification that's available through KQED. I don't know if you guys have seen it, um, but we're really looking at that right now. And we're looking at, um, offering that certification as a way for teachers to get, um, professional learning hours so that they can move forward on the, on the pay scale. So, you know, a lot of this is really trying to, um, you know, getting people to sign on to this. Part of it is, you know, to make it attractive to them. And so that, you know, that's one of the pieces is, okay, how can we get people to do the certification? Um, is maybe they can use that to move forward on the pay scale. But we're hoping that they, they do it also, you know, just to, to become better teachers and more well-informed. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. and and that's something that 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 could be another conversation there about um, the whole idea about professional development of teachers. Where are you doing it for the pay scale, or are you doing it because you want to be a better teacher? And unfortunately, a lot of times, I think that it's a lot of it's because of the pay scale thing. But um, that's really cool, though, that you're trying to entice people to be better teachers and learn more about the digital citizenship piece as well. Because so many times we focus on professional development as in learning new tools or going to a training on the NGSS or something along those lines. So incorporating this digital citizenship piece is something that it it needs to happen more often. And I am, uh, I'm ashamed to admit that I'm not as well versed in it as I should be. And I know my district where I'm at, we're not as well versed in it either. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a great conversation that we're having that I hope can spread to others. Yeah, I really hope so because I, I, it's so important. I mean, we really need to prepare our students for this, for this world that we did not grow up in. So it's, it's really difficult. You know, my, my mom has always said, you know, that her mom would say, oh, I'm so glad that I'm not raising kids now. And now my mom says that to me, I'm so glad I'm not raising kids now because it changes every generation. And I know that I'm going to say the same thing to my kids. Right. So I I really, I just think that, um, you know, part of the reason why we're bringing the communities in is that our communities need to band together and, and learn from each other, you know, because, you know, we've, we've had a lot of, you know, things happen and, and we really need to lean on our communities for this. Mm -hmm. No, because I think you're exactly right. Because I think we're, we're not talking about something that just happens in schools in a vacuum. It's like these exactly. kids are everywhere. And I mean, and their parents are everywhere. So I'm thinking about like even my school. So I have my schools. We communicate through Facebook. We use Instagram. We have a Twitter. What I'm finding is like my parents aren't on Twitter. They're on Facebook and Instagram. That's right. And I mean, and if, 
And if I probably pushed it, probably could get a lot on Snapchat. So I, I kind of think like, okay, so my parents are on there and I clearly know, and I'm at a, and I'm at a K-5 elementary, I guarantee you some of my elementary kids are on there. Absolutely. So, yep. Although they're not supposed to be on there until they're 13. No, they're not. They're not. But, <laughs> but they that. are. But, that, but that's the thing is that that's something that I've been talking to parents about, the fact that social media is for kids who are 13 and up. Um, considering, you know, does a third grader need to have a cell phone? I don't know. And and that's something, though, that if the community decides, right, if right. my friends and I decide, you know, we're not going to get our kids' phones until they're 13, then that's the norm. Right. You know, I mean, people are really in charge of their own communities. And, and I for think sure. that this is empowering for them. No, I, I, you're right on. Thank you. So, no, I, I, it is it is interesting because we are in, we, like, I just I have conversations with teachers all the time about, like, reading. So the classic one for me is literacy. So, like, when we talk about, because that's, that's kind of where my, my lens is and where I came from as a, as a, somebody with a literacy master's, and that was my focus, I think about, like, okay, books. Like, the standard definition of a book now is not the paper-bound book. Those are great. But, man, kids, like, a blog, a YouTube video, a, a Google Doc, that is now literacy. So right. let's just, right. let's, let's just that. That, is, that is the norm for kids. So how do we teach them to access that literacy in an appropriate manner and then interact? And that's the other thing is now you're interacting with that literacy. That's right. That's right. So it's not, it's not just the consumption, right, of literacy. It's how right. do you react to that and how do you create, right? Yes. You can create and put things online. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's, um, there's a lot, it's a lot, it's multi-layered for sure. Yeah. And I forget who was saying it a while back about kind of like what you were just saying, Ben, about how, you know, literacy can come in a lot of different forms now between, you know, books, magazines, online. And I used to be one of those people that you go out in public and you see people, wherever, just on their phones. And you're like, look at these people right. just on their phones, you know, just burning their brain or whatever. But I, I've i come to look at it in a different light now that it's like, who am I to judge, A, if they're on their phone so much? If that's their choice, that's their prerogative. But secondly, right. they're, they're reading the news or they're engaging in a conversation on Twitter or Facebook or something. Or maybe they're reading a book on there in digital format. I don't know. So right. I, we need to shift our, our focus on that as well. I mean, there's definitely times and places where maybe you should get, get out of your phone, regardless of what you're doing, you know, and just enjoy the moment. So, you know, right. whenever I go to a concert, I'm like that. Get off your phone. Stop trying to take pictures. Just enjoy the show. You know, right. that, but you know, it, it, we need to shift our focus on that too, because like you were saying, Lori, that the kids today, it, it's not like it was 20, 30, 40, wh however many years ago. And we, every generation, I always swore I was going to be that one, like, I'm not going to judge the kids by their music. Well, now here I am judging them by their music. Oh, yeah, right. So, um, but, um, but yeah, because, but, but kids now, that's what they do. We pass notes, they snap each other or text each other. Um, right. you know, we got on the phone for three hours and talked to our friends. Well, they might do that or they might just snap or text each other. So we, we just got to shift that mindset and teach kids 
and adults, especially adults, yes. that it's in, the importance of the digital citizenship piece and how to behave yeah. using digital media. Can I, can I can I make a book suggestion? I know this is a, a, a beer edu. That's right. But, um, so I've been reading this book kind of off and on, and I'm I'm still not done with it. I admit it. But the name of the book is Wasting Time on the Internet. Oh. It's by Kenneth. I, I, I might need that book. It's yeah, I know. It's what's really funny is that like people go, oh, wasting time on the internet. I think I have a PhD in that already. But (laughs) Kenneth Goldsmith, and he's a professor at Penn, I believe. But what he did was he decided that he would create a class and he, it was open only to a certain number of people. So he kind of, I don't know if he handpicked the people. I can't remember, but um, basically he said, all right, guys, here you go. You just have, you just go waste time on the internet. That's what you do during the class period. And then you write afterwards about it. But through this book, he actually like changes that and he really changes his thoughts about what does it mean to waste time on the internet? Are you truly wasting time on the internet? So um, I don't know if you guys want to do this, but it would be awesome if we all read the book and came back together and talked about it. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm down yeah. for that. Wow, that sounds I like. I am down for that. Well, because I, I find myself sometimes. Yeah, yeah, the Voxer group, that's a great idea. I find myself a lot of times. I'll I'll consider it wasting time on the internet, but then I realize afterward what I learned. So, um, have either of you started watching or watched that new Ken Burns series on country music yet? No, not yet. Is it awesome? Okay, so I watched episode one, and it was phenomenal. But what I found myself doing was about every 10 minutes or so, I found myself pausing it and then looking up one of the facts that he brought up or one of the one of the country stars that was part of that was being interviewed to talk on the piece so i found myself um i went down a rabbit hole for about 45 minutes after watching 10 minutes of it at one point learning about the history of waylon jennings and then marty stewart and you know oh my god two artists that i listened to with my mother growing up hadn't really even thought of much well waylon jennings i did but not marty stewart in 20 years and then going down this rabbit hole and realizing, holy cow, I mean, I knew Waylon Jennings was a legend, but I never realized right. just what a legend Marty Stewart was in the country right. music world. And yeah. then I press play. I watched 10 minutes more. Then I go in and I, I Googled something along the lines of like, um, what were who were Johnny Cash and June Carter's kids? And then then all of a sudden right. I'm down another rabbit oh, hole. Yeah, yeah. And right. so yeah. I'm going back and forth on Google for two hours and and afterward, I'm like, man, I just wasted a lot of time. But then I realized how much I learned in the process. So I did that too, but I'm, I'm going to like flip it to the other side of the, the, well, the other side of the water. I went to see the Downton Abbey movie. Yes. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a humongous Downton Abbey fan. And I went to see the movie. And yes, the movie's really only for fans. But um, the whole whole thing in that was... The king and queen were going to come visit Downton Abbey. Well, then that led me down this huge... I came home and I started looking up, like, which king and queen was it? And what about this princess? And what was her relationship with her husband? And, I mean, all of this stuff was in there. And so I I really think that, you know, a lot of times, right, you're right. It's like we call it wasting time on the Internet. But, no, I'm sorry. You know, this right here, my my little computer that sits in in my pocket, right, I can look up everything. And it's really, truly amazing. I mean, I was sitting with my mom last night. We were watching TV, and there were all kinds of things that I was looking up, and I was, like, sharing them with her. And so it becomes this whole – it's a teaching tool, right? 
and, and I, I think about that because every week I go to breakfast with my dad and I take my, my son and I go take my dad to breakfast and my dad's in his 80s and he has these great stories and he knows, I mean, my old man knows everything there is to know about like World War II or, or Winston Churchill and all these things. He'll reference movies and everything and then my son will like look stuff up and then my dad will be like, well, what about this? And then look more stuff up and it's like, it, it actually, I think in some ways it enriches the conversation that we end up having. I agree. So, I agree. So I, I think it, there is there is a double. It, it is a it is a beautiful tool depending on how we use it. Well, and think about too, like all the times that you're having conversations with people, and you're like, "Oh wait, I've got a picture of that," or "Let me show you a picture of that," and and suddenly you know you're having this conversation. You're sharing your pictures. You're sharing your life. I mean, so I really think. The whole idea of wasting time on the internet, is it really wasting time, honestly? I would like to finish the book someday. Someday I will finish the book, but I, I highly suggest it to you guys. Well, it's hard to finish the book when you're wasting time on the internet. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't I couldn't resist on that one there. So, but um, <laughs> No, I'm definitely going to have to check that book out because, um, but it's also, it's something that I think would be great to incorporate that with your students too, like bringing that book in and really the conversation we just had about the quote unquote wasting time on the internet, that how kids especially get a lot of flack for it. And I'm even guilty of it sometimes where, you know, you see a group of kids sitting around just all them on their phones like, wow, they can't have a conversation with each other. But again, I I'm getting better at not judging that because, you know, I don't really know what they're doing, but bringing that in saying like, you know, you're going to catch flack for doing this but at the same time this is the lesson you can get from it you're going to learn from it and as long as you're using it for good then there's nothing wrong with really with wasting time like that quote unquote right right exactly and then well and it makes you think too like what is the definition of wasting time period whether or not you're on the internet or just out in real life what is the definition of wasting time it really depends so, on what your idea of productivity is, I guess. I mean, am I wasting time if I'm watching a Ken Burns film and then Googling stuff left and right? Some people may say yes. They may say, just watch it or something. Then other people will say, you're wasting time if you're not multitasking. If you're not watching TV while doing your laundry, then you're just wasting time doing one or the other. So it just depends on what your right. definition of productivity is. That's true. That is true. Yeah. That's a that's a good point. Yeah. Wow, how did we go? How did we go from? Um... <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Welcome hey. to the show. Yeah, yeah I know. I was really. <laughs> yeah, that we we've definitely had some great conversations on this show that were not planned at all. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the way to go. Definitely the way to go. So you're piloting this program, then, if we if we want to circle the wagon back. You're piloting this okay. program. Do you have, is it something that you are, you have a goal for one year for now, or is this vision further out? Like what, what exactly is the plan for this uh, digital citizenship initiative you got going? Okay. So right now the plan is, well, we're piloting it with the parents and um, what we're doing and what we have been doing for the past few years is that we, um, we ask that our teachers teach, um, you know, one, it's one lesson of digital citizenship, right? One digital citizenship lesson a year. I know that's not a lot, but that's the minimum as needed per um, uh, E-rate, right? 
with um with uh now i'm blanking anyway but yeah it's basically for e-rate right you need to teach in grades k through five and then high school teach one lesson but in the middle middle grades six seven eight it's two lessons and so and we actually keep track of that so um we actually ask our teachers to fill out a form when they're done with the lesson to give their um their opinion, you know, how did the lesson go? Did they like the lesson? We, we let them choose. They can choose um, common sense. They can use um, Be Internet Awesome, which is the Google one. Um, they could also use um, certain lessons from um, Applied Digital Skills, which is also from um, Google. But uh, we want them to actually log that in and we give them a certificate. Um, we're going to be working toward having teachers become common sense certified as well. So that's kind of like, that's the next step. Right now, we just want to make sure that teachers know that um, the resources are out there and we'd like them to continue teaching. Um, and then, like I said, the pilot is really big with the parents right now. We're working with five schools. And by, I don't know, by spring, we should have a better idea of how that pilot went. I've, wow. I've heard of all of those things, but I, I've never really dug much into them. The, the closest I've done to digging much into any of them is the Be Internet Awesome one. They have partnered up with Pear Deck because Pear Deck with Google Slides where they have pre-made uh, slides in Pear Deck with lessons that where you can teach the lessons for Be Internet Awesome. So I've seen the slide decks. I, I haven't dove into them much yet, but... Um, now, now that we're talking about this a little bit more, I think this weekend I might take a look at them a little bit more and see how I can possibly incorporate those into just not even necessarily just like taking out a full day, full block schedule day and saying like, hey, this is what we're going to do today, but just incorporating into just a standard everyday lesson to where it doesn't sound forced on the kids because I'm sure as your pilot comes along, teachers may start to get a little bit antsy about a thing and like, oh, we're going to be forced to do these, the lessons and whatever. And anytime a teacher is told they have to do something, we all know how that goes. Well, um, just so you know, and then, you know, since this is the October 12th uh, episode, uh, Digital Citizenship Week is October 14th through the 18th, yes. just so you know. So that's something too that, um, you know, if, if schools can't jump in for that this year, then that, you know, that's something that happens every October, every year. So it, it's, it is something to plan for and you, um, you know, pushing it kind of, you have to start kind of early and I have to admit, you know, we've done it better some years than other years, but um, this year we're really trying to push digital citizenship as it's a life skill, honestly, it really is. No, it certainly no, is. Always- and there's a lot of adults in our world that, need those digital citizenship lessons themselves, uh, especially ones that have access to mainstream media on a regular basis. I'm not going to make this political or anything because it comes from all directions, but um, there's, there's certainly problems with that in the world. The people that are supposed to be the role models aren't setting a very good example for the kids. Right. No, absolutely. And, and what's great. And, and, you know, yes, I am going to talk about common sense again, but what's great about Common Sense Media is that they've actually done a lot of, you know, surveys and studies, mm-hmm. and they found that parents are on online more often than the kids. I mean, the kids are on all the time, but so are the parents. And and that's something that we have to, you know, they, they're really big on um, the, 
what is it, device-free dinner. I don't know if you guys yes. have seen those yep. ads. They're great. Um, so, that you know, that's something, too, you know, device-free dinner. How often have, have you gone to a restaurant and seen people with their three-year-olds who are on a device um, and, you know, not actually talking to anyone? So, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, Common Sense has a lot a lot there um and it, it helps a lot <laughs> you know so you know no and they're they're i think they really are in my opinion and having i know it's something we use in my school we use it in my district they they are the they have everything done they vetted all the work so it makes more yeah. sense for us to use it yeah exactly exactly um, so definitely everyone check that out. Common Sense is great. And like I said, you know, it's Digital Citizenship Week. There we go. Yep. And friends of the show, Tom Covington and Michael Jeffcott, I know their district is a Common Sense uh, Media District where they've gotten certified. So they have a slew of uh, input that they could provide as well. So if you're looking, if you need a little bit of guidance, you can find them on Twitter uh, at yeah. Tech. Tech Tom BUSD and Tech Mike BUSD on Twitter. Find those guys and then listen to their show, Tosa Talking Tech. And they talk about common sense and a lot of digital citizenship. Reset digital citizenship stuff on their show quite often. We we've we've shortened it now. We call it Ditch Sit. Yeah, Ditch Sit. I, I probably should have done did that, Dig but it. but you know what? I'm not ashamed, and I'm not going to edit that out of this episode. <laughs> right. That's right. There we go. Be we, proud. We all One get garbled every now and then. That's right. <laughs> so, well, you know, I'm really looking forward to, you mentioned uh, jokingly, I, well, I'm thinking half jokingly about coming back for a birthday episode next year. I think we need to do that where we come back yes. and we revisit what you've done in that year with this initiative that you're putting together because everything about it sounds awesome. And I love the fact that, you know, you talked about it, a boring AUP policy uh, sheet, whatever, but how you worded it makes it a little bit more exciting where it's expectations and not rules because rules are meant to be broken. Expectations aren't. That's right. Expectations are meant to be lived up to really. Yes, there it is. And, and that's like, this is what I expect of you. And I know you can do this. That's, that's basically what, what we're saying with the AUP. Well, and, and I, I am, I really am interested in what you got, what you're doing, because I know it's one of the things that we talk about in my building. And I know the feeder, the schools that I feed into uh, the middle school, we're, we're doing a whole thing with the, the film screenagers. Oh, about, right. like, yeah. right. We're going to do a whole thing with our middle school. You know, it's a six through eight and they're presenting it. We're going to invite all our families from the, the elementaries that feed into that because it is, it is part of this whole discussion that we, but we can't not have this discussion right now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, it's like it will help everyone, teachers, administrators. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be reactionary all the time, right? We mm -hmm. want to be proactive. And I think that that you just need to take certain steps to be proactive in this case. For sure. Yeah. Well, we want to have all of our listeners keep this conversation going yes. a little bit more as well. So Please. share your thoughts with us. On today's topic of DigSit, not digital citizenship, you can email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us using hashtag beeredupod and then the handle is at beeredupod. Hit us up on Facebook, beeredupodcast, all one word. 
Our Instagram, we'll talk there, but that's more of the fun yep. one. We're posting beers on that one at beer edu pod. And then Lori, you are on Twitter and you are active and awesome. What is your handle on Twitter? I'm Ed Tech Yoda on Twitter. I'm also Ed Tech Yoda on Instagram. Very nice. So follow Lori on both of those platforms. You can also send us a voice message using the Anchor app. We'll put it in the show. Leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. Uh, more people can find the podcast, and it brightens up our day when we read those, which is very nice. And then if you would like to be a guest with us, visit our website, beeredupodcast.com. Click on the Contact and Subscription Info link tab, and we have a guest form there that you can fill out to be on the show with us. Yes, we want you uh join us and and like you said, Kyle, keep this conversation going. Lori, this has been an amazing episode. Like a, we we talked we started one place and we ended up somewhere else. Like all the episodes. <laughs> Thank you. I so appreciate being able oh. to talk about did fit. Well, and I, like I said, I, I agree with Kyle. We need you to have, have you on for the next birthday episode since, you know, your our birthdays are pretty much linked together. And so I want to know, I want to know like how this went. And, and truly, I just want to steal all your ideas. That's, <laughs> I, I'm totally going to be selfish. Hey, I share. I love to share. Sharing is caring. Absolutely. So, well, we want to share a little bit more with you and the listeners here. We want to share a little bit of knowledge about beer. So you yes. want to stick around for that here for a second. So now last episode, we we mentioned it for a brief second and said, yes. we're going to visit this on a, a future episode. And that was bottle conditioning and right. what that is. And then, uh, some people might think of it, right, just on the outside thinking like bottle conditioning. What are they cleaning the bottles real well so you get great tasting beer? No, this actually has to do with the fermentation. So. Um, it's also known as bottle refermentation because what it is, beer most of the time, it gets its fizziness, its bubbles from carbon dioxide naturally. But the, in order to make it fizzier and to, and to have it retain its head and everything, what they'll do with bottles, cans, whatever it may be, they'll add carbon dioxide to it under pressure and it gives it more carbonation. They especially do this with kegs because if you got a keg, you're obviously probably not going to drink that in a span of a half an hour, even if you got a lot of people around. So they got to hook up CO2 to it to keep the beer carbonated. Otherwise, it goes flat and not many people like flat beer. But however, Adam from our previous episode, our our British friend, he (laughs) might like the flat beer since he likes the warm beer too. Yeah. So I think he just likes warm beer, but anyways. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. So now, so a beer that's bottle conditioned, what they do is they take the beer after it's been fermented, it's been filtered, it's been bottled even. But before they seal it, they add a little bit more priming sugar or a little extra yeast to the bottle. And what happens is the yeast that's left over or that extra yeast, it starts it ferments a little bit more. And in the process, it burns up the oxygen that's in the beer, which is another thing that we'll get to in a second, and it creates more carbon dioxide. And what that does, it carbonates the beer more. It gives it a finer texture. The foam stays longer. So when you pour it, that foam head stays for a little while longer. The flavors become more complex oftentimes. And then it'll give it a longer shelf life as well. So when we talk about the beer going flat, this actually bottle conditioning will actually help it last a little bit longer on the shelf. Okay. Which I found a little bit interesting. I actually didn't I, know that part. I just no. I knew more about the part about amping up the ABV a little bit and the, and the yeah. carbon dioxide. I didn't know it was going to do all these other great things. 
Well, and I always thought it had to do more with the taste and like, and, and getting that from that, that, I don't know. I, I, I didn't realize that, that it, it kept the head and everything in the beer. Yeah. So what, what happens is with, with the flavors, you were talking about it being with the flavors and you're absolutely yeah. right. The yeast, it, oxygen kills flavors in beer. Right. And, right. you know, as light will do as well. The yeast consumes the oxygen. And when you don't have as much oxygen, that flavor is going to last a little longer. Right. And it's, and it's going to become more intense. Now, with forced carbonation, when they're adding it to the bottle of the can or the keg or whatever, you get the CO2 in there. It keeps it carbonated. But as soon as you open it, all right. that CO2 rushes out. So right. that's why you get that you get that pop sound and that hissing sound that comes out. You pour it, and then all that CO2 basically rushes out. And if you let mm -hmm. it sit long enough, it's going to flatten out. So the bottle condition one... The CO2 dissolves in the beer better, and it's going to stick right. around. And that's why the head sticks around a little bit longer with the bottle-conditioned beer as well. Oh, okay. Well, that – and I've done – so so I've done – in my own home brewing, we've done bottle-conditioned. And, man, that's an art. And I will just say that because I've had bottles explode because I didn't get the level right. And I, a little too much yeast in there will cause it to – Build up CO2 and it will blow the top off. Absolutely. So that you're right there. It's a fine art to, to get that to happen. Now, you don't see this real often because of the art that it is. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But oh, yeah. There, the, the one beer I know for sure is bottle condition. And, man, it's a doozy of a beer. Boulevard Brewing out of Kansas City. Their farmhouse okay. ale called Tank 7. Huh. One of the best sure. beers I have ever had. I, really? the first time I had it, I just had a bomber and I said, I have to get a hold of this again. The next time I was in Kansas city, they had cases of it at Costco, 24 <laughs> bottles. And I had it in the cart ready to go. And then my wife saw that it was 52 bucks for a case of beer Ooh. and she shut me down. So I had to just buy the bombers. <laughs> yes. Well that, you know what? I I've come to the conclusion that, that there are certain beers that are worth that money. So that might be one that, like, should I be in Kansas City? I, I don't know. I've never seen that one out here. It'd be um, interesting to see how far, if it's in Denver. Or I have good like news that. for you, my friend. It is available at some of our local big oh. box bottle shops. Oh, okay. Yes. I know the one you're talking about. Yes, it is available yes. there, and they have a few more Boulevard beers there as well. And you, you won't be disappointed with Boulevard beer. Well, yeah, and I, I'm trying to think like I, I have to be. I'm, I wonder. I'm thinking about like a brand like Dogfish or somebody like that that would may do a bottle condition. I'd have to research that because I think you're right. It's, it is a, it's an art. It's very time consuming. It does amp up the, and because of that, that extra work that's put into it, you're you're paying for that on the on that end. Absolutely, and it's funny you mentioned dogfish. I believe when I was doing my research on this, I came across a beer, an IPA that Dogfish makes that is bottle conditioned, mm -hmm. but I had never heard of it, so I didn't write it down in my notes. Oh, okay, yeah, it, it, they just they strike me as one of those brewers that would do that would take that extra time. You know, to do something like that, and I'm sure, I'm sure if you go to like a brewery, if you travel to a brewery like Stone Brewing or maybe even Sierra Nevada, I wonder if they do a, a bottle condition, but you can really only get it there. That's very possible, or like maybe yeah. a, a small batch one-off series or something. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, like Russian River or someplace like right. that. So, but yeah, so I mean, that that's bottle conditioning. You know, it's uh, wow. they're kind of hard to find, but um, if you can get a hold of them, it's definitely worth the little extra money that it's going to cost to to get that beer. 
Cool. Well, wow. That's there we go. Like, like I truly, truly did not know anything about about that. Even even though I have to admit, even though having done my own brewing and 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 kind of done that piece, I wasn't sure. You know, you just follow the directions on the the sheet. <laughs> so, very nice. Well, again, right, Lori, EdTech Yoda, thank you again for joining wow. us. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Yes. It was a great hour. It was it was a great show. We we learned a ton, and like I said, I'm I'm totally going to be stealing those ideas. Absolutely. So, and listeners, thank you for sticking with us as always. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. <laughs>